0: Hebrews 4.16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. O oh, Father, how we need your mercy. We sin every day. We fall short of your command to love you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. We are lukewarm in our affections. All our motives, even at their best, are mixed. We murmur. We are anxious about tomorrow. We get angry too quickly. We desire what ought not be desired. We get irritated at the very attitudes in others that we ourselves displayed five minutes before. If you do not show mercy to us, we are undone. Oh God, let us see the mercy of Christ and savor it for what it is. Grant us power to comprehend his love. Incline us to read and ponder the stories of the mercy of Jesus in the Gospels. Let us so admire what he did that we imitate him. But let it be much more than external imitation. Let it come from the heart where we have been broken for our sin And where we have come to cherish mercy and live by mercy and hope in mercy and long for mercy. Make the mercy of Jesus the greatest beauty of the Savior in our eyes. Let us behold and beholding become like him. And bend this taste for mercy outwards so that we show it. Make us full of his mercy that we might show mercy. Fulfill in us the command to do justice and love mercy. Let us love showing mercy. Make it so much a part of us that it is who we are. So unite us to Christ that his mercy is our mercy, and our mercy is a presenting of Christ. He is all we have to give in the end. Glorify his mercy, Father, in our faith and in our patience. And thank you, Oh, thank you for Christ and your mercy to us in him. In his name we pray, amen. Everybody is afraid of something in life. We all have some fears. What are you afraid of? Maybe one of the following is one of your fears. Pedophobia, the fear of dolls. There's a Twilight Zone episode about that called Living Doll, if you remember. My name is Talking Tina, and I'm going to kill you. Maybe your fear is a the fear of teenagers. Obviously, Pastor James does not have that fear, but uh, some people do. Ataxophobia, the fear of disorder or untidiness. Now, I have this fear, and I have six kids, so y'all can pray for me and my Ataxophobia. A metaphobia, the fear of vomiting. Coulrophobia, the fear of evil clowns. My daughter Tabitha came up to me just—this was already in my sermon uh, on Thursday or Friday—and she said, "Everybody in my class, including my teacher, agreed this week that we're all afraid of clowns. So, Coulrophobia is very real." Here's one that many people are afraid of, uh, glossophobia, the fear of speaking in public. Now, I don't have this fear, but many people do. It, some people fear speaking in public more than they fear death. Here's one perhaps some of you suffer with, luposlipophobia, the fear of being pursued by timber wolves around a kitchen table while wearing socks on a newly waxed floor. <laughs> now, I'm not sure that's... A real fear, but I suppose it could be. In fact, I'm pretty sure that I would suffer some serious fear if I were being pursued by timberwolves around a kitchen table while wearing socks on a newly waxed floor. Lupo slipophobia actually comes from the Far Side cartoon, if you're familiar with those. Maybe you suffer from geniophobia, the fear of chins. These are real fears. I suffered a new one this morning that I came up. It's called Lost to Sermon Phobia. Because I came in, I came in this morning and read through my sermon, and I stuck my manuscript. I thought I stuck it in my box in the church office, and Pastor Greg's box is right above mine. I guess I stuck it in Pastor Greg's, and he came in, collected everything in his box, and went to his office, and I came in, and my manuscript was gone. And so I searched all over, went back to my house, in my car, everywhere, and I thought, who would take my sermon manuscript In fact, I use a mind map, if you're familiar with that. So even if you stole my sermon manuscript, you would not be able to follow it. So I thought, who would steal my sermon manuscript? Anyway, Greg checked his pile of things, and I guess I had stuck it in his box. So this morning, I suffered from a very real fear called lost sermon phobia. Speaking of sermons, maybe you suffer from homilophobia, the fear of sermons. Now, I hope you don't suffer from homilophobia because you're listening to a sermon right now that is based on a sermon, the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is a sermon by a pastor to a group of churches. And so if you suffer from homilophobia, you're getting a double whammy today because you're getting a sermon about a sermon. But let me alleviate your fears today, whatever they may be. Whether it's the fear of sermons or the fear of tomorrow Or the fear of being pursued by timber wolves around a kitchen table while wearing socks on a newly waxed floor. Whatever your fear is, I have some good news for you this morning. Some good news for your fears. And it's this. God welcomes you into his presence where he has mercy and grace waiting for you. And in his presence, there is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore, as Psalm 16 verse 11 says. So if you are a Christian, you don't have to fear God. If you are a Christian, you don't have to fear God, meaning you don't have to be afraid of God anymore because God's not mad at you, Christian. If you are a Christian in union with Jesus Christ, God welcomes you into his presence where he has mercy and grace waiting for you. He welcomes you into his joy. He welcomes you into his eternal pleasures. And because we as Christians, as disciples of Jesus, because we are in union with Christ, we are no longer commanded to keep our distance from God in fear and trembling. God actually beckons sinners like us into his presence to draw near with confidence. We can go boldly to the throne of God and it's not like the floor around God's throne has been recently waxed and we happen to be wearing socks as we approach him. It's not like Jesus says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy burdened, but watch out because the floors have been waxed and I notice you're wearing socks. That's not what Jesus says to us. We can go boldly to his throne. Unfortunately, I think that's how many Christians approach God like they're wearing socks on a newly waxed floor. But that's not the picture in the book of Hebrews. We sinners can approach a holy God boldly and with confidence. Imagine that. You can march right into the white-hot presence of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You can march right into the white-hot glory of God without fear, all because of Jesus. You have access right into God's presence because of Jesus. And what's waiting for you there? Mercy and grace. Mercy and grace are waiting for you. At God's throne. And so our big idea today is simply this. Barge in. Because of Jesus, we can barge right into God's presence. Even after we sin, we can barge in immediately. Why? It's because of the blood of Jesus. His blood has cleansed us from all sin. As Jerry Bridges says, It is not our contrition or sorrow for sin, It is not our repentance. It is not even the passing of a certain number of hours during which we feel we are on some kind of probation that cleanses us. It is the blood of Christ, shed once for all on Calvary 2,000 years ago, but appropriated daily or even many times a day, that cleanses our consciences and gives us a renewed sense of peace with God. When we sin, when we blow it, we don't have to wait to approach God. God doesn't stick us on probation for a few hours. I think that's how many of us think. We think we must, I must stay away from God. I just indulged in that sin. I just said that, did that, thought that, whatever. And I must stay away from him for a while. There needs to be this time and distance between me and God. And then maybe his heart will warm to me again. And and then I can approach him and come into his presence. But that's not true. We can barge in. We should barge in right after we sin. We don't have to make an appointment. We don't have to sit in the waiting room. We can barge right into God's presence. And guess what's waiting for us when we barge in? Mercy and grace. Mercy and grace are exactly what we find when we approach God's throne. And because mercy and grace are awaiting us at God's throne, And because God is on His throne and He invites us into His presence, then anytime we bask in God's presence, that is our highest moment. Anytime we spend time with Jesus, that's our highest moment in life. Anytime you and I get away from the clamor of this world and we go to Jesus, our great and merciful and faithful high priest, that is our highest moment. And that's what we'll see in Hebrews chapter 4. So look again at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Hear the words of the gracious and merciful God that we serve. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, this verse would actually boggle the mind of an Old Testament saint. They would reread this verse several times over and over again, and they would think this must be a misprint. They would think, surely it doesn't say, with confidence draw near. I bet the autocorrect changed it to confidence. I bet it's supposed to say, let us then with caution draw near. It can't say with confidence. Don't they know how holy God is? We can't draw near with confidence. We must draw near to him with caution, with trepidation, with fear. We can't barge in. We must move slowly toward God like we're wearing socks on a newly waxed floor. Now, why would an Old Testament saint think that? Because under the Old Covenant, it was this. Take off your sandals because you are on holy ground. What did Yahweh the Sovereign Lord say to Moses at the burning bush, in Exodus 3:5, then Yahweh said, "Do not come near. take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground." And then what happened later on in the book of Exodus? When the nation of Israel was gathered at Mount Sinai, it sounds like something out of a sci-fi movie, a science fiction movie. In Exodus 19, Yahweh appeared on Mount Sinai and Moses warned the Israelites, stay away from the mountain. In fact, they put a fence around the mountain to keep people away. And when the Lord, when Yahweh appeared, there was thunder And lightning and a thick cloud and a a trumpet blast. And then there was smoke everywhere because the Lord descended on top of Mount Sinai in fire. And then there was an earthquake. And the trumpet got louder and louder and louder and louder. And then God spoke the Ten Commandments to his people out of the thunder. And how do the people respond to all of this? How do they respond to the thunder I mean imagine the thunder and, and the lightning that you see and the clouds and the fire, the mountain is on fire, there's thick smoke and there's these trumpets that just keep getting louder and louder and louder, and there's this earthquake, and then Yahweh speaks. And Exodus 20, verses 18 to through 21 tells us how the Israelites responded. that you may not sin. and The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Now leave Exodus chapter 19 and chapter 20. Leave that behind and read Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How an Old Testament saint would say, are you crazy? Draw near to the living God with confidence? Uh-uh, no way. That's exactly what an Old Testament saint would say. And that's exactly why the new covenant is better. That's exactly why Jesus is better. We don't have to have Moses represent us. We don't have to have some Aaronic high priest represent us. We don't have to stay away from the mountain. We don't have to send Moses into the tent of meeting and have him put a veil over his face when he comes out because the glory of the Lord is too much for us to handle. No, we can approach God boldly and confidently and transparently and honestly and openly because of Jesus because he is our great, faithful, merciful high priest who has passed through the heavens in his ascension and has made the way possible. And this is exactly why the preacher of Hebrews is perplexed that the Hebrews want to return to the old covenant. He's perplexed that they want to return to Mount Sinai and live in, in fear when they can approach God's throne just like they are without fear. Now, let me say something here about the fear of God. Of course, we don't come flippantly into God's presence. If you think for a minute that you can approach the holy God of the universe flippantly, then you haven't read your Bible enough. Hebrews 4.16 doesn't say, let us then flippantly draw near. See, when we say that we don't have to fear, we don't mean that we don't have a healthy, reverent fear of God because we should. He is holy. Yes, he dwells in white, hot glory. We would be obliterated if we came into his presence if it weren't for Jesus. So yes, we are called to fear him, but we don't live in fear of him because God is not mad at us anymore. In fact, he's madly in love with us because of Jesus. We're called to fear him, but we don't live in fear of him. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, his throne is a great white throne, unspotted and clear as crystal. Familiarity there may be, but let it not be unhallowed boldness there should be, but let it not be impertinent. Listen, Grace, we don't have to fear God in one sense, but that doesn't mean that we have no fear of God. Of course, we should have a robust, healthy fear of the Lord, this wholesome dread of breaking his commandments. Yes, absolutely we should have that. Or we better, right? Listen, If you think you can just live any way that you want to and disregard God and disregard his word, you might want to go visit a few people in the Bible. Visit Uzzah, who reached out his hand to touch the Ark of the Covenant when it was falling off the cart. What happened to him? He died. Visit Eli's wicked sons who were priests and see what happened to them. Visit the wicked kings of both Judah and Israel. Visit, in Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. And visit King Herod in Acts chapter 12, who refused to give glory to God. And then Luke tells us that he was eaten by worms. The Greek word for eaten by worms is skolekabrotos. I mean, if they had to come up with a word, what are we going to call it when someone is eaten by worms? How about skolekabrotos? It's like the perfect word. Herod was skolekabrotos because he would not give glory to God. There's a few people, to name a few. If you think you can approach the triune God flippantly, you need a wake-up call. But we don't have to fear Him. We don't have to be afraid of Him. We don't have to live in fear of Him. We don't have to stay behind a fence at the foot of Mount Sinai. We don't have to be afraid of the thundering voice of God. We don't have to take our shoes off like Moses There is no barrier around God like there was at Sinai. No, we can approach his throne with confidence. We don't have to approach God like the floors were recently waxed and we're wearing socks. No, we can approach him confidently. Why? It's because of Jesus. Because Jesus is better, because God has now spoken to us in his Son, and because we are covered with his righteousness, and that gives us access into God's presence. We are covered with the righteousness of Jesus as we approach God. And what is Jesus wearing as we approach him? He's wearing the gospel. Jesus is clothed with the gospel, if you will. John Calvin said this, this then Is the true knowledge of Christ. If we receive him as he is offered by the Father. Namely, clothed with his gospel. Will you receive him today? Will you receive Jesus? God the Father offers you his son who is clothed with his gospel. Will you believe today? Don't you wish you belong to a God who welcomes you into your presence? In spite of your sin and the mess in your life? You can today if you will believe. The Hebrews were in danger of not believing. We saw that several weeks ago. They were in danger of falling away. They were in danger of unbelief. They were experiencing gospel amnesia. And they were forgetting the good news that they had heard. And it was wreaking havoc in their lives. And this is exactly what happens when we don't preach the gospel to ourselves. Oh, the troubles that come into our lives because we don't remember the good news of the gospel. John Owen said, unacquaintedness with our mercies, our privileges, is our sin as well as our trouble. Unacquaintedness with The mercies that we have received, the privileges that we have as adopted sons and daughters of God, our unacquaintedness with that beautiful truth is not only our sin, it's our trouble as well. This is exactly what was happening with the Hebrews. They were unacquainted with their mercies and their privileges, and it was causing trouble in their lives. And how often is that our case? How often do we get gospel amnesia? We need a fresh reminder this morning, as we do every Sunday morning, that we can confidently approach God's throne of grace to receive grace and mercy in our times of need. And if you're like me, every day in every situation is a time of need. I need mercy and I need grace every day. And so my weaknesses and my failures are actually good things because they drive me to the throne of grace. My weaknesses and my failures are actually good things because where do they drive me? They drive me to Jesus. My neediness, your neediness, is a good thing because it sends us to Jesus, our great, merciful, and faithful high priest. And when we are needy, the good news of the gospel is that we can just barge in. And that's why Jesus is a great high priest, because he is the holy son of God, and he offers mercy and grace to sinners like us. Now, you would expect him to offer lightning bolts, wouldn't you? I mean, He's the holy God of the universe, and sinners dare approach his throne? You would expect him to offer lightning bolts, or expect him to pull out a sword and strike us down. You would expect him to obliterate us with his white-hot holiness and glory. But instead, what does he offer us? Mercy. He offers us grace. Imagine that. The good news of the gospel is that there's mercy when you blow it. And there's grace when you need it most. There's mercy when you've sinned for the umpteenth time. And there's grace when you feel like you just can't go on. There's mercy when you break your promises. There's grace when you are at your worst. Mercy and grace are what Jesus offers to sinners. Mercy is when God doesn't give us what we deserve. And grace is when God gives us what we deserve don't deserve. Imagine that we approach his throne and we deserve eternal death and damnation and condemnation. And in his mercy, he doesn't give that to us. In fact, he goes beyond that and he gives us what we don't deserve. Namely, his son, Jesus. The staggering thing about God's mercy is that it comes and it chases you down like a warrior, but it doesn't exact vengeance. Mercy chases you down and says it's okay. I forgive you. I won't give you what you clearly deserve. Mercy's heart breaks when you break God's law and you get a, end up being broken because of that. Jesus' heart breaks when you and I break God's law and we end up getting broken because of that. So mercy comes and picks you up when you're fragile. and doesn't toss you out because you're messed up and grace doesn't work like karma either grace doesn't do an eye for an eye grace comes to you when you are at your lowest grace comes to you when you've got bedhead you know you wake up in the morning you're like whoa (laughs) and you've got morning breath and you've got crusty stuff in your eyes got a little slobber running down your chin and grace loves you in that moment Grace embraces you in that moment. As Bono sings in the U2 song, Grace, grace finds beauty in everything. Grace makes beauty out of ugly things. The good news of the gospel is that God comes down to the broken. Jesus comes down to broken people who cannot lift themselves up. He leaves his holy mountain and he comes down to rescue us, to redeem us, to do for us what we could not do on our own. So grace pursues us. Grace chases us down. Grace seeks the down and out. Grace loves to love the unlovable. As Preston Sprinkle says, grace is more than just leniency and unconditional acceptance. Divine grace is God's relentless and loving pursuit of his enemies who are unthankful, unworthy, and unlovable. Grace is not just God's ability to save sinners, but God's stubborn delight in his enemies, yes, even the creepy ones. Grace means that despite our filth, despite the sewage running through our veins... Despite our odd addiction to food, drink, sex, porn, pride, self, money, comfort, and success, God desires to transform us into real ingredients of divine happiness. God doesn't just want to save us. He actually wants to be with us. He doesn't just love us, God actually likes us. So God removes his royal robes and he steps down from his throne. Grace seeks out people like us who could never climb up or even stand in God's presence. Grace seeks out those who could never approach God's throne of grace. That's what grace does. Grace reminds us that God doesn't merely save his enemies. He stubbornly delights in them. Isn't that amazing? Grace doesn't sit on the mountaintop and tell sinners, climb up and get grace if you want it. Grace doesn't do that because grace cannot be earned. Grace doesn't just beckon sinners. Grace moves down to broken sinners who can't move. Grace seeks out the down and out and then lifts them up. Grace descends down to save the down and out. But grace doesn't just save us. Grace pursues us all the days of our lives. Grace aggressively pursues and then stubbornly delights in us all of our days. That's why the gospel's good. That's why the gospel means good news because this is good news. Only God could come up with good news like this. Brennan Manning said, my life is a witness to vulgar grace, a grace that amazes as it offends, a grace that pays the eager beaver who works all day long the same wages as the grinning drunk who shows up at 10 till 5, a grace that hikes up the robe and runs breakneck toward the prodigal reeking of sin and wraps him up and decides to throw a party, no ifs, ands, or buts. A grace that raises bloodshot eyes to a dying thief's request, please remember me, and assures him, you bet. A grace that is the pleasure of the Father fleshed out in the carpenter Messiah, Jesus the Christ, who left his Father's side not for heaven's sake, but for our sakes, yours and mine. This vulgar grace is indiscriminate compassion. It works without asking anything of us. It's not cheap. It's free, and as such, will always be a banana peel for the orthodox foot and a fairy tale for the grown up sensibility. Grace is sufficient, even though we huff and puff with all our might to try to find something or someone it cannot cover. Grace is enough. He is enough. Jesus is enough. Grace is Jesus, mercy is Jesus. Grace and mercy are not abstract theological concepts. Jesus is grace. Jesus is mercy. And Jesus is who you find when you barge into God's presence. The reason there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore at God's right hand is because of Jesus. Because Jesus is at God's right hand. That's why there's pleasures forevermore because Jesus is there. That's why there's fullness of joy at God's right hand because who's at God's right hand? Jesus is our great and merciful and faithful high priest is there. And those who have been floored by this amazing grace, they can't help but keep seeking his face. Those who have been floored But God's grace can't help but keep on seeking his face. Those who know just how messed up they are, they just can't let go of the God of grace. I'm not going to let go of him. I'm a mess and he loves me and delights in me. I am not letting go of him. Those who know just how sinful they are, they just can't seem to let go of the gracious God of Hebrews 4.16. So there's grace to forgive you today. There's grace to restore you today. There's grace for whatever it is that you're going through right now. Wherever you find yourself today, there's grace for that. Whatever situation you find yourself in, there's grace for that. Whatever need that you have, there is a throne of grace that you can barge in on. Listen to the promise again. And this is now our sixth time in our entire service to read Hebrews 4.16. Listen to it again. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Whatever is going on in your life right now, There's grace for that. God's grace is there to help you and to sustain you and to strengthen you and to hold you up. That's how grace works. No trial, no situation, no relationship, no heartache is off limits to God's grace. There's grace for whatever you're facing today. So stand firm in it. Stand firm in faith. Hold fast to your confession, as Hebrews 4.14 says. And when you suffer and you feel like you cannot make it through, know that grace is there. Whatever you're going through today, there's grace. When your children are running from God, there is grace. When you feel so overwhelmed being a parent, there is grace. When your marriage is struggling... There is grace. There's mercy and grace here for everyone. Everyone that's here. Mercy and grace available to sinners like us. So please understand this about God's mercy. Your your misery, it actually makes God's mercy manifest itself in the middle of your mess. The misery that you're experiencing and the mess that you've caused and that's happening in your life, your misery actually makes God's mercy manifest itself in the middle of all of that mess your pain and your sorrow arouses god it gets gets his attention he sits up christian the god you approach with confidence in prayer he loves to listen to every little heartbreak every little detail about your grief every need that you have, and that's why you can run to him, and that's why you can barge in on him. You can run unto his throne of grace, not having to worry about slipping on a banana peel. I'm coming to you, Jesus, but are there banana peels here that I'm going to slip on? You can go, and you can run wild, and you can run free, and pour your heart out to your Father, and he listens. Oh, how our Father loves to listen to our prayers when we approach His throne of grace. And God doesn't treat His children's prayers the way that we typically deal with some user agreement. Let me ask you this morning, do do any of you really read all of the iTunes user agreement in terms and conditions when it updates? No, you just lie, don't you? You lie like all of us, and you click, I acknowledge that I have read and understood the user agreement, and you just move on with life, don't you? Liars. <laughs> I'm in that group with you. God doesn't do that with your prayers. He listens, and he reads every little detail, every little paragraph, every sentence, every word, every verb, every subject, every. Syllable. And he listens to every cry and to every moan and every muffled word and every unintelligible sound. When you pray and cry like this, and you're just, you, you're not even saying words, you're just, he listens. And when you're sobbing like a baby and your pillow is soaked from your tears he listens and he understands. He listens and he understands when you are crying and praying and pouring your heart out. That's mercy. That's grace. That's Jesus. And that's how Jesus works. That's the God of Hebrews 4.16. Your high priest Jesus, your great, faithful, and merciful high priest. Now, you may get tired of talking to God but he never gets tired of talking with you. Jesus never gets tired of your prayers. He doesn't see you coming. He doesn't see you approaching his throne of grace and duck down another aisle. We do that, right? I just got to go to the store and grab some milk. I'm just going to throw a hat on. I don't have any makeup on. just threw some sweats on. I'm just going in and getting the milk and coming out, and you see someone you know, and what do you do? You duck down another aisle, right? Or maybe you look normal, and you see someone, and you're like, I don't want to see them, so I suddenly need to go down this aisle. We do that, don't we? To avoid people, Jesus doesn't do that with us when he sees us approaching. Our prayers, they actually please him. Our prayers actually delight his heart, they bring him pleasure. Proverbs 15:8 says, The Lord abhors the sacrifice of the wicked, but the prayer of the upright pleases him. Your prayers and my prayers, however weak they are, however juvenile they are, whatever they are about, they bring God pleasure. It brings God tremendous pleasure when you draw near to his throne of grace and you bring your needs to his attention. It brings him tremendous pleasure when you approach his throne of grace and you just dump all of your junk out, out to him. Think about that grace. That ought to make you want to pray. And doesn't this happen with our kids? Don't our kids do this with us? When one of your kids just crawls up on your lap, doesn't it bring you Joy. It does me. Not all the time, but it usually does. Because I have this chair that I read in, and it's this old vintage chair with with a high back, and it kind of looks like a throne. And, you know, here I am sitting on my throne. I'm the king of my house in my little throne. And that's where I love to sit when I get off work, and that's where I love to sit and drink my coffee and read my Bible. And every time I do that, one of my kids will come up and just crawl up in my lap. And they don't warn me. They have no regard for me taking a sip of hot coffee as they cannonball into my lap. And so coffee goes everywhere. And they have no regard for me underlining a sentence in one of my books. So they jump in my lap and my underlining goes vertical. And that bothers me because I'm a sinner and I suffer from OCD and I want my books underlined neatly. And so sometimes, sometimes it bothers me when they barge in. But not every time. Most of the time, normally, it just warms my heart. I just love it when they just barge in with no reservations and just want to sit in my lap and be loved. It brings me pleasure, and that's how it is with our Heavenly Father. It pleases God. It brings Him pleasure. It delights Him. It brings joy to His heart when His children just barge right in and climb up into His lap. It brings him pleasure when we cry out to him. It brings him pleasure when we approach his throne of grace. What a God we serve. He listens, he cares, and he responds to our prayers. But even better, our prayers actually bring him pleasure. He loves it when we cry a river and we have to change our bedsheets because we've soaked them with our tears. God loves it when his children come to him with bloodshot eyes and tears running down their cheeks and snot oozing out of their nose and they they pray unintelligibly. And it brings him pleasure when we approach his throne of grace. And that should make you want to barge in. And not only does God listen when we barge in and pour our needs out before him, he actually keeps track of all of it, he keeps track of all of our prayers. God is actually keeping a journal of all the things that you suffer, all of your misery, all of your pain, all of your heartache, all of your tears, all of your needs, all of the things that you bring to his throne. He keeps track of all that. keeps inventory. Surely that's David's point in Psalm 56, 8 when he says, You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Every time you cry out to Jesus, every time you pour your heart out in his throne of grace, every time you suffer injustices because you belong to Jesus, every time you have a need that you bring to his attention, Jesus writes it down in a book. He keeps a journal of all of your late night tossings. He collects your tears in a bottle. He keeps track of all of your needs. So there's mercy and grace for every need. And it brings God pleasure when we alert him to those needs. He loves it. He enjoys it. God loves to see you come to him. Through his son Jesus. Your great high priest. And bring your needs to his attention. He loves for you to bring your needs to his attention. He loves for you to bring your needs to his attention. He loves for you to bring your needs to his attention. He loves for you to bring your needs to his attention. So are you overwhelmed today with the dangers and the difficulties and the distresses of life or the anxieties and the agitations and the afflictions that we all experience in this world, maybe it's the troubles and the trials and the traumas and the hurdles that we face and the hiccups of life and the headaches and the problems and the pain and the predicaments and the strife and the strains and the stresses of life. Has all that got you down? Well, guess what? God wants you to bring those needs to his attention because it brings him pleasure. He is waiting for you. He's waiting to dole out and to dish out some mercy and grace. So there's no need to hesitate to bring your needs to Him. There's no need to hesitate to bring your needs to Him. Christian, you are not wearing socks and approaching a throne that is surrounded by newly waxed floors. There are no banana peels around God's throne. No, you approach a throne of grace where you can go boldly and confidently and find grace and mercy, where you can go and you can find Jesus. Christian, you are free. You are forgiven. You are redeemed. Christian, God is not mad at you. He does not have lightning bolts waiting for you at his throne. He will never, ever be mad at you again, Christian. Because Jesus already took care of that on the cross. So you sit and you live and you abide under his love and devotion. And if you never obeyed again, Jesus would still love you and cherish you. Isn't that amazing? If you never pleased him or even had the desire to please him anymore, he would still love you. Oh, how he loves us. And Christian, you are covered with the righteousness of, of Jesus. And so God sees you as blameless. God sees you as if you've never sinned and as if you had always obeyed. And nothing, nothing can change that. And if you sin, and you will, he will forgive you always. You are his child forever. Jesus paid it all. It is finished. And that's what Hebrews 4.16 means. And that's why right now you can barge in John Bunyan said, mercy is the only antidote to sin. Tis of a thawing nature. Mercy will loose the heart that is frozen up in sin. Yea, mercy will make the unwilling willing to come to Jesus Christ for life. Will you come to Jesus today? There is fullness of joy in his presence and there are pleasures forevermore. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great mercy to us in sending your Son and in giving your Spirit. It's Pentecost Sunday when we celebrate the Spirit being poured out on the early church. And God, we need your Spirit this morning. We need the Holy Spirit to turn our eyes again to see your son. We need the Holy Spirit this morning, Father, to empower us to run and to barge into your presence. As we even sing the last song, Father, about how much you love us, may we pour our hearts out before you and may you comfort us with your grace and with your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.